episode of The B-Side, a spin-off podcast for the Film Stage show uh, for the Film Stage website, where we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the movies they made in between. Some of them were hits, some of them were flops, some of them were weird. It's another episode. I'm in Buffalo today, and I'm lucky enough to be recording with a longtime Film Stage writer, and a Buffalo-based film critic, Jared Mubarak. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Um, so I'm up here in Buffalo where I went to school, where I met Jordan Raup, where we started the film stage 10 years ago. And um, I was lucky enough to have a short film I wrote and directed uh, be here at the Buffalo International Film Festival, which is just in the middle, as we're recording, we're in the middle of the festival. Uh, my movie screened last night. You've been running around seeing movies mm-hmm. uh, for the Buffalo International Film Festival. John Fink, who's another kind of film stage person slash guy I've known for a long time, he does a lot of the program for the festival. He's great, now great the executive guy. director. Oh, executive director, you're right. So he's um, a great dude. And the festival is really fun. It's been a great... Uh, kind of weekend seeing old friends being able to see the, you know my movie regular up on the screen and wh- what have you seen while you've been uh, so here? far uh, Thunder Road last night was great uh, Jim Cummings film uh, I believe he's self-distributing middle of October so that's coming out soon yeah um, the uh, Friday's Child from AJ Edwards is screening on Monday and that's great oh that's great yeah and AJ yeah. Edwards Jordan Raup Love the Better Angels, Better Angels. which I, and I met AJ at a screening of the Better Angels, and yeah, I mean, I know Film Stage was like a big, I think he was su- on the trailer supporter of that movie because it you know got a little bit of play, but you know, um, you know, I think Jordan really we was trying to hero that movie because he really did love it. I, I, I like the movie as well. That's cool. Did you like that AJ Edwards movie? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, it's a good festival. There's a lot of local Western New York uh, pictures. Um, a buddy of mine, Joe Blodgett, who um, is a talented filmmaker, he had a short as well that screened last night called Lock. I'm hoping that kind of gets out there. It's a, kind of a cool genre movie. Uh and yeah, so it was really nice. It's really nice being here and seeing everybody. But that's not why we're here, okay? We're here to talk about the B-sides of one Anne Hathaway, who I think, and we talk about this every time we do this podcast, she is a, she's a bona fide movie star, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. I, Even before the Oscar, she... Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it. So, you know, she has an interesting, kind of an interesting history. You know, she was a New York City kid, a theater kid, kind of famously. That's almost like an unnecessary knock on her, right? Part of her weird negative when she was winning the Oscar for Les Mis was this, like, theater kid vibe, mm-hmm. which I I never really understood. I guess it's this idea of, like, wanting to be liked or something. Seems silly to me. Like, I think she's a very talented actress. But anyway, she's a New York City theater kid. It, it, it is what she was. And then got Princess Diaries at a relatively young age and then had this, like you're saying, kind of this huge hit and then this, like, Disney run mm-hmm. of Princess Diaries, Ella Enchanted, mm-hmm. and um, Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement, of course, with young Chris Pine. And then, you know, but to your point, like, these were hit movies to some degree. So I guess she kind of was a prepackaged movie star a little sure. bit. But has backed it up since, right? Point being, like, Ocean's 8. Mm-hmm. You know that's an ensemble movie, but she is so crucial to. And I, I enjoyed Ocean's Eight, but regardless, whatever success the movie has, mm-hmm. I think she's a huge part of it. She's For such sure. a highlight, and I think 
so, you know, because we talk about this, you know, we talked about Kate Blanchett in the last episode, and we said on that episode, I don't know that she's a movie star. I think she's someone who she adds quality and and a and a, and a like a viability to mm-hmm. whatever movie she's in. But I don't know that you're ever going to see a Kate Blanchett movie, and that's a guaranteed hundred million or something. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Hathaway's more bankable, not necessarily right. quality wise. And Kate Blanchett for and actually now that I'm saying Kate Blanchett also in Ocean's Eight. Right? Yeah, and um, but yeah, like and we were saying about Jason Statham. Is he a movie star? I guess so because the movies that you, when you see Jason Statham in a movie, you're going to see him, mm-hmm. even though it's a lower a lower gross. Mm-hmm. There is a devoted base of people that go see his movies. But so the time period we're talking about, we're gonna kind of jump around, but it is basically like an 04 to 08 time period where you know she makes her Disney movies, then she wants to get serious. She's getting older. She has a little but effective role in Brokeback Mountain mm-hmm. in 05, which is definitely like kind of a coming out, all right, I'm going to start doing serious movies thing. For sure. And then around that time, she makes two of the main movies. Well, she makes one movie that will, I guess we'll start with this one. Why don't we just start with this one? <laughs> this movie, Havoc, which it's funny, even on Box Office Mojo, as I'm looking at her movies, it has like a, a non-applicable release date. Even though I do think it came out in 05, or did it ever? Come I don't out? think it ever hit theaters, theaters in the US. Yeah. Definitely other places. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it never really came out. Yeah. So this movie, I don't know. Do you want to intro this movie for us? This movie is, is interesting. Um, I think a lot of, like, if you say it to people who necessarily aren't maybe cinephiles, you know, this is the movie where Anne Hathaway. Like was naked, and and it it's yeah. it's got this mystique to that, which is a detriment to to her acting ability. It's a detriment to everything because that's kind of the storyline that got put with this, which was a real shame, because it has an interesting story where screenwriter Jessica Kaplan sold her script at seventeen. She wrote it. She was kind of um, the character Eric, who's who's filming like this. Oh, that movie. was her. She, conduit yeah, character. I read that that she was kind of writing this script based on what she saw in school, and so she sold it, and it was just kind of kicked around by New Line for seven years before uh, Stephen Gagan, fresh off his Oscar win, <laughs> so decided weird. to take it. And, so weird. And I mean, I've never read the script, so I don't know what he changed, but it's weird to have a guy like that take over this teenage film and have it become what it became. Yeah, and he... And and Gagan's an interesting guy, too, because... So he got the Oscar for Traffic, but he is a working screenwriter. Kind of a famous go... Kind of a famous script doctor, actually, Mm -hmm. like, amongst the Hollywood people, as I understand it, obviously. But Gagan also wrote and directed this movie, Abandon, in 02, which is this, like, thriller with Katie Holmes. So, like, okay. he has a weird career. He's making the Dr. Doolittle movie now mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. But then, like, the two movies he's most known for are Syriana and Traffic, which are very, yes. like, of a piece. So mm-hmm. he has this one part where you're like, he makes this type of political movie, and then he's doing other things. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, so he, like you're saying, he takes over the script. And then Barbara Koppel directs Havoc, mm-hmm. who is a great documentarian, still makes documentaries. Mm-hmm. made of Oscar winning. Oscar, yeah, Harlan County, USA from way back. But still, like, made a 30 for 30 uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago that was very good. It, working, working documentarian. And this is the only 
narrative feature she made, and me and you were talking before the podcast, we I was looking for some quote from her about getting the movie stolen from her, or like into being like, oh, you know, I don't know, something about working with actors, anything that would indicate she didn't have a good time making this movie. Yeah. But there isn't anything that we found. But the movie is, uh, so the premise, right, the premise of Havoc is literally there are these white, rich kids mm-hmm. who live closer to the coast in L.A., right, the richer part of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And they appropriate this, like, urban gangster uh, vernacular and uh, uh, style of clothing mm-hmm. when they're all together, like, going out amongst their friends. Joseph they call Gordon. themselves a gang. Like, right. as though they know what a gang is. Yeah, and the movie starts with, like, this film, this, like, crappy digital film mm-hmm. bit on this character you were talking about. And like Anne Hathaway's like dropping the N word and like talking about with her, you know, with her gang, like you said. And it's very strange. I mean, so off the uh, from minute one, you're like, okay, it, this is interesting, a bit of like off putting, but obviously intentionally so. Mm-hmm. And definitely a subject matter that feels you. We think about Barbara Koppel and like a great documentarian. Uh, the observational element of this type of person, like a rich kid who's bored. And that's like a big part of the movie is like, oh, they're bored kids. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting starting point for a movie, but really it doesn't, I guess the biggest problem with the movie is it just doesn't ever go and dig into the topics that it presents. It almost like offers the topics yeah. and then doesn't explore them really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, like I... I would compare it almost to like the OC, which the OC does it better because it kind of it's a good comparison. It shows both sides of it, but this they're just presenting these kids as spoiled brats who need some kind of guidance, some kind of consequence, and then they just make it into a romance. Like, oh, Anne Hathaway and Freddie Rodriguez wants to get Freddie Rodriguez, yeah. and and he doesn't really care, and and they never even go into that that he just wants her because she's a woman who's interested in him. Yeah. And it, it never goes It never congeals, direction. right? Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's heading towards an ending that's pretty obvious, right? And when it gets there, you're like, okay. There's some weird, I guess now watching it in 2018, mm-hmm. there's some weird consent, sexual consent yeah. things at the end that, that the movie, movie, I would be curious to actually talk to Barbara Koppel now and be like... For sure. Because I won't give it away, I guess, but it it's almost one of the most interesting parts of the movie because it's this weird ending that really is all about a consent of this 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 the sex act that happens that then is a very reacted to negatively mm-hmm. and but then and the, the way the characters react I was watching it I was earnestly like oh this is interesting to watch now mm-hmm. I don't know if you made this movie now if you would do what they do I thought it. It was, it was really bad, especially through this lens, because they use consent in a way where Anne Hathaway becomes a victim blamer, and it's it's interesting because it, there is consent, but there isn't consent for what happens, and the movie just glosses right over the fact that she wasn't in the room and she doesn't even know what happened. Exactly. But and suddenly she's 
the righteous. And this one. is her friend, the Bijou Phillips character, mm-hmm. uh, who this thing happens to. And it's even weirder because the, the movie treats Anne Hathaway's character as a hero, kind of, yes. for her honesty. Mm-hmm. And it's it feels, I guess, short sighted, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's just the best way to put it. And then, and then it spurns this. This ending, it, you could probably guess what the ending is, uh, you know, because basically it's these these I mean these white these white kids who want are acting like gangsters and decide they want to go into like proper downtown L.A. and engage with these gangsters, and then all of a sudden they get into like serious trouble, basically, yeah. right? And you have like Mike Vogel, who's <laughs> I mean you know what I appreciate what he's trying to do, right? Mike Vogel's like the white boyfriend of Anne Hathaway who's like the gang leader, mm-hmm. quote unquote, but like a, like a big baby, you know what yeah. I mean? Like pisses himself when he gets the gun held on him by yeah. Freddie Rodriguez. Freddie Rodriguez is very good in the movie, I think. Um, Chan- young Channing Tatum yeah, is the third like mm-hmm. banana white friend. <laughs> and we were just saying before the podcast, probably should have been the lead. For like sure. should have been Anne Hathaway's boyfriend. Sure. Uh, and then... And Bijou Phillips is, I think, the best part of the movie. Interesting. I okay. thought she really did well on... Really, because Anne Hathaway, whenever she's at home with her parents, she does change, and I feel like Bijou Phillips has a little bit more of an edge. Interesting, yeah. That Hathaway just kind of never gets to. Yeah, I would agree. I I, I also think the <laughs> the worst performance is Joseph Gordon-Levitt for sure, because he's just he's full like Rastafarian or whatever yeah. he's doing, and it's it a feels, caricature. It's like a full caricature. And I can understand. I can understand the acting choice because obviously. Obviously, like the kid he's playing would maybe do that, mm-hmm. but I wish there was a moment where, where he, you know, where, like Anne Hathaway or Bijou Phillips, where like he puts on his like regular like quote unquote white yeah. witch kid face, yeah. and you never see that, which is makes that character a little bit harder to swallow. But anyway, that's havoc. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's worth tracking down. I think it's on stars currently. I uh, mean, yeah. I, 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 rem- I remember not thinking it was that bad when I saw it in like 2006, but watching it today with everything that's going on and knowing where these actors have gone. Yeah. It's really bad. It reminded me of a similar of, of that movie Spun. Do you remember yes. Spun? It's a, it's different, but it's like Spun's a drug movie with a lot of other young actors and like And it was like Jonas Asplund yeah, 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 exactly. It's like uh, it, Auckland. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's like, and it's like Patrick Fugit, and then mm-hmm. like Mickey Rourke is like the bad drug yeah. dealer. It, it's a weird movie, and there's a lot. You have a lot of these kind of movies. I think After Traffic, mm-hmm. you know, like especially with Spun, and that's weird. Speaking of Stephen Gagan, you have this type of thing, but you know that so never got a proper release. Basically, came out around 05. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Seek it out if you're curious about that Anne Hathaway performance, I suppose. But it's she's not great in it. She's not great. And it's a transition phase, definitely. She's she's shedding the Disney, but it almost feels like that's the only reason. Like she's going way far on the other side, almost uh, to do it. Like to like. To like rip the bandit off, mm-hmm. and then Brokeback Mountain. Obviously, we won't really talk about too much. Great movie. She is great in it. Small role, and then obviously 06, Devil Wears Prada is the big, I think, inflection point for her whole career. Where it's like that. That is a movie that the, the Princess Diaries uh, kids are now teenagers mm-hmm. or like young adult or like you know young twenties, and they like Devil Wears Prada, and people like my mom like Devil Wears Prada, and then like I liked it, and yeah. it really. It, it, Everything came together with that movie, I think. And, you know, she's with Meryl. Meryl gets the Oscar Mm -hmm. nom. It really was good for her. Emily Blunt as well. Emily Blunt, of course. Young Emily Blunt. Um, 
And then I did not watch this movie because I just, I couldn't, I just was looking at the poster and I just couldn't will myself to watch it. But you did. I did. God bless you. It's Becoming Jane, 07, August 07. I guess an Oscar play, but August release is kind of, it's a Miramax uh, yeah. movie. But is it Miramax after Harvey? It's like right in that period. Is it Disney Miramax? It's right around it, there. It's Buena it's Vista, so Disney was Okay, involved. so it is Disney. Okay, yeah. so that's the transition where Miramax ended up becoming a Disney company and Weinstein Company was Weinstein Company. Obviously now not really around. Julian Gerald directed it, who has done other movies I like. I think he did one of the Red Riding movies. Possibly. He's a capable like British director. But this is about Jane Austen becoming mm-hmm. Jane. Anne Hathaway plays Jane Austen. That's all I know about it. I'll I'll, I'll let you take it. Becoming Jane is interesting because it's it's partially based on a book called Becoming Jane Austen um, from, uh, what's the author's name here? Uh, John Spence, who is not credited as a screener and not credited for his story by. He is a, he has like a research consultant credit. So I'm not sure what happened there Anne Hathaway plays Jane Austen. And so on that premise, Kevin Hood and Sarah Williams wrote a screenplay, but they said that they went back to her letters. They didn't do it from Spence's book. So he's kind of just there in the background. And watching it just makes you want to watch Pride and Prejudice instead. Because all right. like I had never seen this film, and I'm like, why does all of this sound so familiar? It's because they've kind of uh, put a, a Pride and Prejudice skin onto Jane Austen's life, and it just makes you want to watch the actual thing. It's, it's not great. I think uh, it's good for the performances. I think Anne Hathaway is good. I know some people say she did the British accent great. Some people say she did it horribly. Um, she did end up doing One Day from Long Sherfig. Sure so oh, I, yeah, One Day. Somebody thought the accent was good because they had her do it again. <laughs> exactly. I, I think it's good. McAvoy's good. Um, this why? is a weird period for McAvoy too. This yeah. is like Wanted had just come out, mm-hmm. and he was kind of like, "Is James is James McAvoy going to be an action star?" And it was like becoming James feels like a a direct uh, redirect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because it is it's a British film. Maggie Smith, uh, Julie Walters, like it's a bunch of Harry Potter alum, and then Anne Hathaway and James Cromwell are just. It was at this moment that the recorder I was using decided to become finicky and started cutting out every five seconds or so during my conversation with Jared. So I called him a couple days later and he was nice enough to jump on the horn and talk through the remaining two movies in the Anne Hathaway B-sides. One movie that we did tackle was the hit comedy Get Smart that Anne Hathaway co-starred in with Steve Carell which if you're forgetting about existing, so did me and Jared. Not technically a B-side in that it was a hit, but maybe a B-side in that it feels largely forgotten. And that's kind of what we talked about. Anne Hathaway plays the straight man to Steve Carell's doofus in this movie remake of the popular television show from way back when. And we discussed how Anne Hathaway was kind of wasted in that movie and basically speaking to that thing of she was almost trying everything and this was I suppose not a miss but you know the movie definitely is set up for a sequel and though the movie did do well uh from a box office standpoint I don't think it set the world on fire 
and ultimately came and went without a sequel. Really much recognition. Um, it grossed $130 million, though, domestic, and was definitely one of those hit movies in Steve Carell's career as The Office was still raging on. So kind of a curio in that way, and one that it's basically an inoffensive studio comedy. The Rock has a very prominent role in it, which is interesting now. And, you know, you have, you know, crabby Alan Arkin in there as well. So I suppose worth a look, but not really anything, you know, not unlike its reputation, not anything quite too memorable. Uh, so we'll jump back into the episode now. Uh, apologies for the interruption and enjoy. Jared, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. So um, Passengers, directed by Rodrigo Garcia, Anne Hathaway, Patrick Wilson, a bunch of other people. When we talked about it initially, um, it was a generally negative response to it. But I think, you know, the main crux of it was it's a it's a movie where it feels like the wrong director. Right. Because it's Rodrigo Garcia, a very emotional director who is trying to do something different, but also in the same vein of you know, the same tone of his other movies. And Anne Hathaway kind of looks lost in this movie. She's the ostensible lead. It's about an airplane crash. She's a psychiatrist who's trying to help the victims cope with, or the survivors rather, cope with surviving and survivor's guilt. And Patrick Wilson plays a character who feels is fearless and happy because he's alive and whatnot. And then other people like Clea Duvall are... Their emotions are a bit different. You have David Morse, mm-hmm. who's a creepy government agent of some sort. But then the plot of this thing goes another direction without spoiling and wraps itself up in itself and never really escapes. Um, and I know we had discussed uh, a movie that had similar motivations, which was uh, Mark Forster's Stay that we, that we both enjoy. And uh, to me... Uh, I guess it could be a spoiler if you know that movie, but not this movie, that uh, the way that one handles what's going on with the twist is that it focuses everything on its lead, on Ryan Gosling, wherein Passengers wants to focus on Anne Hathaway's character, but it in the end, she is as equally important to the story as everyone else. So the sheer fact of her being the lead and being in a different position than them just ruins the entire concept um, that that they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, totally. I, I totally agree. Uh, Stay is an underrated movie. We did talk about it um, uh, back when we were up in Buffalo. Hope Buffalo's treating you well, uh, Jared. I, I, I miss it already. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I think stay the, the the trick is it's it stays on Ryan Gosling's POV no pun intended and and Hathaway is as important but it it kind of goes off on tangents and almost like we were saying it it breaks its own rules which when you're doing mm-hmm. high concept screenwriting and you know building ideas I think that's that's the cardinal sin is if you're going to make rules in worlds and scenarios that you're creating you cannot break those rules and I think Passengers does commit that cardinal sin um, and then I also just think you know it, uh, something that 
uh, it's hard to get past with this movie is is it feels also a little cheap, right? I mean, it it feels mm-hmm. it feels like there's a big budget um, idea and scope that their dollars literally couldn't achieve, you know, and look, I'm a producer for my day job. I make budgets. I produce things. I know how hard it is to put these things together. So I try to be very, you know, you want to be understanding of, you know, whatever the limitations are. That being said, it does feel like Garcia, uh, Rodrigo Garcia doesn't ever really have a handle on the scope of this project. And so, you know, when you de- when you're talking about that's that cheapness, I do feel like hurts the picture um, and makes it harder to believe even still. And then like Diane Weist is in this movie and is giving a very kind of subpar, strange performance. And Andre Brower is also in it doing a similar kind of you don't really know what they're going for. And it feels like maybe some of their performances sitting on the edit room floor somewhere. It's just but all I think also- a mess possibly intentional with where they go that that strangeness is kind of built into the twist um so it feels really bad but then in hindsight you can kind of agree with it and but it just again shows it just kind of all went off the rails yeah and i think you know focusing on hathaway like i said before it just feels like she's lost like we've been talking about this was a time in her career where you know it's almost peaks and valleys, right? She's having huge success. She's having Brokeback Mountain, you know, a coming out party for her in a lot of ways. Devil Wears Prada. Um, Rachel Getting Married is is right here in this window. Oscar nomination. And then this is kind of this curio, not unlike Havoc, really not unlike Becoming Jane, right? I mean, Becoming Jane did come out and get seen by a few people, but all of these movies are of, of a piece in as much as they are the movies in between these big successes that just kind of wilter away. And none of them, you know, well, I guess Havoc almost as much. Both Passengers and Havoc barely came out anywhere. And um, yeah. and like we said before, it's kind of a shame because I like Rodrigo Garcia. I like Mother and Child. Same. I like things you can tell just by looking at her. I like, uh, what is it? Was it Nine Lives? Right? Um, he, he, possibly he makes a lot of good movies. Uh, the last days in the desert, I think is another movie mm-hmm. of his. So, you know, I'm here for Rodrigo Garcia and this is definitely kind of, um, a mistake, uh, in his, or not a mistake, but, a a trip in, in the filmography. What else? Is there any, any, f- had, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, we, we had touched upon it last time about just the, the, the weird problematic, uh, nature of the title passengers because uh, with the, the Chris Pratt and uh, Jennifer Lawrence star had had many issues but oh, yeah. this one kind of kind of in the same vein is that you've got Patrick Wilson who is on a high from surviving this plane crash but I don't know how many times he is just blatantly flirting and and trying to get with Anne Hathaway's character and she is telling him no from the beginning and then eventually it works it's just it's a weird it's just a weird way to do that. And yeah. that again has kind of, a, a, it kind of works in with the twist, but it, it just feels really bad in the moment. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, 
that is funny when you think about the other passengers, the Morton Tildum, um, Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence passengers from only a couple of years ago. That was a like a hot script for many years and then got made and was a modest success. But um, I think the sexual politics, the gender politics of mm-hmm. of that movie are, uh, you know, troublesome. And to your point, that's true. The Patrick Wilson constantly pushing in Hathaway, who ostensibly, you know, in the narrative of this piece is a professional, a psychiatrist who who's kind of constantly like, no, 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 like you're my patient. We shouldn't engage, you know what I mean, in any sort of mm-hmm. flirtation. And, and he just wears her down, basically. It, it's it, it's uh, quote unquote traditional and not in a good way. And so, yeah, yeah. it's very strange. I, yeah, I would be curious. I would be curious to read this script only to see, you know, if if there was, you know, something in it that made more sense on the page. Because that's not. I mean, not to go off on a tangent about the other passengers, but that is how I've always felt about um, uh, the other passengers. When I was coming up in, I was interning at a film company ten years ago, and I got my hands on. The, uh, the John Spates script that was Passengers. And I, I loved the script. I remember. I remember yeah. reading it many, many years ago and thinking it was a very provocative screenplay. And then you see the movie get made and you're like, oh, yeah, they they handled that really badly, right? Where mm-hmm. I, th- I think if they had handled it better, if they dug into the complications of that decision a little bit more, uh, mm-hmm. the movie would have been better for it. So... You know, I don't even know that there's that much nuance in in Rodrigo Garcia's Passengers, um, which is saying something. But yeah, definitely kind of a, a misfire on all accounts. Um, yeah. And then you know, to top it off, right, is is Bride Wars, which I, I kind of was leading because this is a movie that me and my wife Kelly have watched, had watched, have watched um, uh, only a couple weeks ago on like Bravo or whatever. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, not a great movie, but kind of a rewatchably, a rewatchable bad movie kind of, uh, feels like a staple of cable TV of, uh, you know, a TNT Bravo TBS type of a movie. You know, if Devil Wears Prada is the movie where if it's on, you're like, oh my gosh, Devil Wears Prada. I love this movie. It's been a long time. Let me watch it. Bride Wars is the... Uh, it's Sunday. This is on. I'm having my tea. Let me just watch this movie. Right? It's basically every female cliche perpetuated by Hollywood in a movie packaged together. Kate Hudson, Anne Hathaway, they're best friends. They get proposed to around the same time. Uh, weirdly, Chris Pratt is in this movie. So there you go. A little Passengers connection. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, he plays... Anne Hathaway's fiance, but yeah, Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway are best friends from childhood. They always, they both dreamed of getting married at like this hotel that they saw an amazing wedding at once. And of course they get proposed at the same time and the wedding date, they both want the same wedding date because it, there's an important, it's important to both of them. And then what happens, dude, it's a war. It's a bride war and uh, all out war. It's a full out war. Uh, screenplay written by Casey Wilson, June Diane Raphael. Um, June Diane Raphael is, I will say, 
probably the highlight of the movie. She plays one's one of the one of I think Anne Hathaway or Kate Hudson's good friends, and she's like in a bad marriage, and you know that's a running joke in the movie. That's that does actually work pretty well. Um, yeah, not much to recommend. Only that you know it's like it's 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 you know it's prepackaged Hollywood, right? So mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of there's another movie called Something Borrowed, which is a similar type yeah. of, you know, it's so perfunctory. But I have a lot of friends who kind of stand by that movie. They enjoy it. It's comfort food for them. So, you know, who am I? Who am I to judge? But, um, yeah, I think when you talk about Anne Hathaway, she's searching for her next thing when she's making Bride Wars, right? She has her Oscar nomination. Yeah. And this is before Dark Knight Rises, before she gets her Oscar for Les Miserables. And like we were saying earlier... Not a lot happens for a couple of years after Bride Wars. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 the Alice in Wonderlands, which uh, I think is her her return to Disney, but definitely not something that she was necessarily the highlight of, or even the the marketing push. I mean, she was kind of there and she was good, and it, it, it's not a movie that I ever really enjoyed, and the sequel is even worse, but. Uh, it's one of those decisions that, you know, why not? Why not do that? You know, right. that that Valentine's Day and Love and Other Drugs in 2010. I mean, that that was a, a, a kind of not I wouldn't say coastier, but, you know, it's lesser stuff to kind of get back. Yeah, I mean, into the business, you know, she's finding her footing. I think, you know, Love and Other Drugs, I think, is underrated. I believe you feel the same way. Um, same. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't set the world on fire. Um and I think, yeah, totally, you're totally right about the Alice in Wonderland movies. She's in them, but, you know, as a supporting character. And that's kind of, you know, same thing with Valentine's Day, right? She's in that as well, but similarly mm-hmm. in an ensemble. And I think after 2012, 2012 is where it all congeals, right? I think if, if you know, her breakout, her, her, her moment in the sun after Princess Diaries is Devil Wears Prada with an appetizer of Brokeback Mountain, then, you know, the full Monty, the whole situation comes together in 2012. Dark Knight Rises, she basically steals the movie as Catwoman and um, Les Miserables, where she wins her Oscar. And then, ironically, I suppose, that's when the, like, anti-Anne Hathaway theater kid thing starts, which I have never Mm -hmm. fully been able to grasp, but... You know, I guess suppose she hosts the Oscars with James Franco. That was kind of not a great moment, though. I do true. I do defend her, right? I I think Franco is the one who comes out looking bad in that one. For sure, for sure. Yeah, she kind of she was trying to hold it together, but I don't think anybody could. Right. I mean, it was a thankless task. So. Yeah, that's the thing, the ill will, and I feel like that even that ill will has kind of started to go away. You know, going. I think that ill will has started to go away. And, and you know, we mm-hmm. mentioned Ocean's 8 before. I think part of that is in Ocean's 8, she's it's a great move by her playing a character that is ostensibly making fun of her own image. And I think in doing exactly. that, it really uh, it really elevates her. Yeah, it's kind of her her return to to com- like straight comedy, like get smart. And instead of playing the straight man, she is she is the comic relief and, and she does it really well. She's a highlight of the movie. Um, and, and it's, it, it's even, 
it, it's more broad even than Colossal, which Nacho Vigalondo's movie is is kind of a comedy. I mean, it, we're definitely laughing before it goes really dark, but uh, it, it was good to see her just kind of let loose, and I'd love to, to see that again. Yeah, and I think I agree with you. I mean, in terms of kind of wrapping it up and, and, and saying what do we want to see from her next, obviously Serenity's coming out in January now, a thriller with, uh, you know, looks like a swampy thriller with uh, Matthew McConaughey, which I'm excited about. You know, she has a couple of projects on the horizon. The Hustle, which is a, appears to be a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which that might be, you know, in line with what we're talking about. Kind of comedy, maybe something that she can, you know, get a little, have a little fun with, be a little edgy with. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think her charm you know, when you think about something like The Intern, which is more of a classic movie star role, um, it come it shines through. And I think in a movie like Ocean's 8, it's really the ammunition that she has. And so hopefully something like The Hustle uh, reveals that, continues to, um, it, you know, ignite that part of her. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would, yeah, ser- I think we have a lot of serious Anne. Um, and thankfully not a lot of like, passengers serious Anne, which is too much but more like you know she's got a filmography that's quite diverse and but i would like to see her have fun a couple more times you know what i mean in the in the in the near future and it does seem like with serenity with serenity and the hustle that we're going to get that so i am looking forward to yeah. kind of seeing what she brings to the table any final any final uh second chance thoughts on Anne hathaway uh no i think uh i mean it it's she's got films like everyone else does that kind of hit kind of miss um and i mean she's she's been nominated twice she won once uh she's she's going to be in the new d Rees film so that could have some oscar potential um there's just you know you can't fault her for trying something new um maybe the projects weren't as good as they could have been but i don't think it was ever really her fault you know maybe sometimes her her performance wasn't great in them but i don't think she was necessarily the driving force into those clunkers that we would say um but uh you know hopefully she just keeps that diversity going and and you know maybe there'll be some more bad ones but uh the good have have definitely outweighed those yeah i totally agree i mean look of course there'll be other bad ones right i mean you know you know there always are you know part part of nature of the beast but I think, um, to your point, she's always been game, and I think that goes a long way. And, uh, you know, we obviously look forward, you know, to much, much more from her. Um, well, Jared, thank you for coming back on and, and f- wrapping this one up uh, and wrapping this up in a bow. I do appreciate it. Um, uh, he's pleasure. Jared Mobark. He's Buffalo-based. He writes for the Buffalo Vibe. He writes for the film stage. You can find the rest of his work at jaredmobark.com. Uh, thank you so much for talking Hathaway with us. And, uh, you know, we'll get you back on here. We'll get you back on here for, uh, for you know, I don't know. We'll we'll talk offline about another, uh, another cool, cool character to talk about. Definitely. Anytime. Anytime.